This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Welcome back to the Science Fictionary Podcast presented by thesciencefictionary.com. I'm Andrew and I'm here tonight with Marisha. Hey everybody. And David. Hello. And we are going to wrap up. Well, I say wrap up. We're going to do our final part of the Pillars of Fantasy. And we'll go ahead and, and talk about this. Last time when we did the Pillars of Sci-Fi, in order to kind of round out our list and make sure we didn't miss critical things. Which we did. Which we, of course, did. Because just the parameters of this mean you're not going to get everything. But in order to kind of squeeze in an extra list, we asked our listeners to tell us what we missed and tell us what they thought should have been on our list. And we want to do the same thing this week. If you've listened to the Pillars of Fantasy and you think that we missed anything in either the literature, TV, or movie category, or if there's just something else that would fit more in the miscellaneous list, um, and you'll kind of get a feel through this episode of what we're kind of putting on the miscellaneous list. Be sure to send those to us. Either send them to us on Twitter. Backyard Tardis is already actually sending us stuff, and mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll round out his list for next week. And we want some of, some of you other guys to send us the things that that belong on the list that we missed. And next week, we will do an episode where we will fill in that listener's list before we publish our final poster for the Pillars of Fantasy. So this week, we're going to get into the the miscellaneous category, which is just kind of our catch-all for the things that don't quite fit in those other categories, or even possibly something that maybe we thought of from one of those other categories that that we kind of thought of in the in the meantime, but but mostly it's for those things that don't work in the other category. I know the the last time we had things for science fiction, we had things like the inventions of Leonardo da Vinci, mm-hmm. the sound design of Ben Burt, the music of John Williams. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of things is what we're really looking for in the miscellaneous category. So we're gonna just jump right into the category tonight and um, I'll go to David first. David, what's your first offering on the list? Awesome. So I've been excited about this one because when we started doing fantasy, the first things I thought of are actually uh, miscellaneous because there's so much of of that kind of stuff. And um, I'm a huge video game person. Uh, I love video games with all my heart. Uh, It's one of the biggest things in my life so i wanted to put a video game because there are a ton of fantasy video games and there are a ton that i considered for this list i considered the witcher but we did include that on our um, literature so that can go over there the witcher 3 is a big deal but probably not the perfect answer for the video games legend of zelda was highly considered obviously another fan favorite huge fantasy world very beloved but I'm not the personal, uh, a personal biggest fan of, of Legend of Zelda, so I'm going to leave that off. 
Uh, I even thought about Mario, very fantasy mm-hmm. and, and obviously very big. And then uh, the other one was World of Warcraft that I thought about. That's not my answer, but World of Warcraft I almost put on here. Um, obviously, it's been around for years now. Still has thousands of players every month. Huge fantasy world. Probably, probably the ultimate fantasy experience for a gamer is to play World of Warcraft. But what I finally settled on, there's a little bit of bias here, is the Elder Scrolls uh, series by Bethesda. This includes games... Um, there's been five Elder Scrolls games and more to come. And the biggest one of them all is Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, which everybody's heard of. It, it's, it's one yeah. of the biggest games of all time. Um, and I was literally playing it today. So there's a bit of bias uh, picking <laughs> the Elder Scrolls. But I picked the Elder Scrolls because um, it's out of all the fantasy worlds and video games, and honestly, in general... The Elder Scrolls is one of the most fleshed out, in-depth worlds that I've ever seen. Um, in Skyrim, there are literally hundreds of in-game books that you can pick up and read in the game. Wow. Just about all the history and lore in this world. Obviously, it's very inspired by Tolkien. You have all the classic races like orcs, elves, humans, etc. But then they're their own that they've invented themselves that each have their own history Every um, country in Tamriel has its own history and lore and every race. Um, super fleshed out timelines and characters and bloodlines. It's very Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings all at the same time. And from my personal experience talking to people like at school or at my age, a lot of what they know about fantasy actually comes from playing the Elder Scrolls games. Because yeah, you can watch Lord of the Rings and you can get knowledge but when you're playing a game like the Elder Scrolls yep. and you're playing it for countless hours, way more than you would be to watch a movie, uh, you know, you can play Skyrim for hundreds and hundreds of hours and still not see everything. You're meeting all these different races. You're talking to them. You're learning a lot about them. You're learning about not just races and stuff in the Elder Scrolls, but in general of what they are in fantasy. Right. And because of that such deep conversation you can have, I mean, you can walk up to an elf and talk to an elf about elfish, elvish culture in this game. And just because of that and how big Skyrim is and how many people know about it, I yep. decided to pick that as my video game entry. So I have The Elder Scrolls by Bethesda. Awesome. That's a great choice. Um, and I, I've got some, uh, some video games that I, I've kind of given thought to as well. So um, that's, that's definitely a big one. Well, do you want to go next? Awesome. No. You oh, also ahead. the music of Jeremy Soul. The music of Jeremy Soul in these games is one of my favorite fantasy works, right behind Howard Shore. Um, if you haven't listened to Jeremy Soul's music, it is peak fantasy uh, sound. That's cool. Awesome. All right. So um, Andrew and I were talking. He's like, "Yeah." He says, "You're not allowed to steal any of my stuff." I worked a long time on that list, <laughs> and I sat down. Um, but my, um, my background is a little different than Andrew. Like my, you know, my growing up, I was into very different things than he was. And it happens, just so happens that the things that I was in lend themselves very, very well to this category. Um, so I'm going to start with, um, in no particular order, um, I'm going to start with the ballets of Tchaikovsky. 
Um, now he was actually a composer, not a, a he was just, wasn't a choreographer or anything, but he wrote some, the music for some of the most famous ballets ever. He wrote the music for Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty, The Nutcracker. Basically, they, he wrote the things that it, when people think about ballet music, this is what they think about. Um, and the thing is that these stories have become a really important part of uh, the cultural lexicon, especially for your particular kind of nerds like me. Um, but... Of course, everybody knows the Nutcracker, right? The, you know, the the, to the talking, you know, well, I guess not talking in the ballet, but you know, the uh, soldiers that come to life and the mice and the war and all the dances of all the fairies and the, you know, all the sweets from all over the world coming in. And so that's a really visible, obviously, every Christmas, it seems like three quarters of the ballet academies in the country stage some version or other of the Nutcracker. And it's become, like I said, it's become an important kind of cultural, uh, part of the cultural lexicon. It's something that, you know, kind of gets referenced, people are familiar with. And it's actually, it was, I was kind of looking and, you know, we talked about how fantasy really didn't, um, wasn't taken seriously, you know, in television and in film for a, a really long time. It really just was one of those things that people sort of considered it to be for children. But the exception to that was ballet and opera um, in the realm of the fine arts, like especially ballet and opera. Fantasy is kind of a mainstay, pretty much all of your most famous ballets um, and many of your most famous operas feature you know, some sort of fantasy element. Um, swan Lake, right, is about the a cursed princess who turns into a swan and, you know, has to get the prince to fall in love with her. But then there's the evil, you know, the sorcerer and the the evil doppelganger and, you know, all of some of your most um, classic fantasy tropes. And, of course, also um, the version of Sleeping Beauty that is most familiar to most people, which is the... Disney version of Sleeping Beauty was actually taken directly from the ballet, uh, the Sleeping Beauty ballet. The music, in fact, is all taken directly from it, uh, which is one of the reasons the movie didn't do smashingly well because everybody thought it was weird the way that he used the existent music with the kind of edgy um, animation style. But so anyway, that's my first um, contribution to the category is the music of Tchaikovsky specifically the for that he wrote for ballet. Okay. I like it. Good deal. All right. Well, I'm gonna, let's see. I got to decide which one of these I want to throw up there first. Um, I think the one that I'm going to take first, I'm going to go ahead and grab it before someone else does, if anyone else even considered it. But uh, it's one of my favorite entries on my list. It's part of nearly everyone's childhood is these days is the Muppets. Mm. And, and I'm choosing the Muppets. Like on science, in science fiction, we, we talked about the creature shop in yep. particular. Uh, and the, the creature shop has played a big role in fantasy and science fiction. 
Um, and, and that is certainly a big part of it. Um, the Muppets came about in 1955, created by Jim and Jane Henson, which she wasn't a Henson at the time. They created this. They got married four years later. But a show called Sam and Friends is the original. That's the origin of the Muppets. And the Muppets themselves, we talk about all the things that they've done. They've done things that were specifically, I mean, you talk about all the things they've done, like Wizard of Oz using the Muppets and and all these other things. But the Muppets themselves, because the way we, we've done them, the, the way that Jim Henson presented them as there's these puppets, but we invite them into our real world. And we pretend like, we do these shows where it's the Muppets and they're real people guests. And so we invite and you're supposed them, to take it seriously. And, and you're supposed and, and so you're taking these fantasy creatures and placing them alongside real people and and inviting that fantastical element into our own world. And but in addition to that, things that the Creature Shop specifically has been involved with within the, in the fantasy realm, The Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, Star Wars, The NeverEnding Story 2, just to name a handful of really important pieces of fantasy. And, and just that because is of... awesome. I 100% agree. Yeah. So just because of all that, The Muppets are my first entry into, into the category. That's great. So it brings us back around to, to David. Everybody loves the Muppets. I got Kevin. Everybody loves the Muppets. <laughs> um, so my next entry, uh, I'm going to go with, this is a bit vague, but I thought it was important enough to include, and I hope you all agree. I went with mythology, mainly mm-hmm. Roman, Greek, Norse, and Chinese, Hindu, and Japanese mythology. I didn't know really how to narrow that down. Um, I tried thinking about it, but I couldn't. And all I could think was, I don't know how to narrow. I don't know how to specify like a, a single book that mm-hmm. describes all of the Roman gods and all of the Greek gods and all the Norse gods. So I kind of just I thought mythology would kind of fit this category. Yeah. Um, and just saying, like, mythology, including those, um, obviously, and we've mentioned, especially in the literature section, stuff like um, like the Odyssey and the Epic of Gilgamesh, which all kind of are influenced by that, by, like, Roman uh, and uh, Greek mythologies, I believe, right? And Beowulf, mm-hmm. uh, very Norse mythology. But even, there's so much even outside of those right that is so important and such a big deal that i thought i should include it here um all of the different gods and the legends and the stories it's it's some of the most timeless uh storytelling in existence the kind of stuff that everybody knows you learn about it in school Mm -hmm. this is where you're learning about fantasy in school i remember learning about all these mythologies in like sixth grade and thinking to myself like i'm just learning about like lord of the rings right now right you might as well you know be teaching me this kind of stuff um obviously as a huge influence on everything i mean thor is literally in the marvel cinematic universe <laughs> right. and he comes right. from norse mythology um everybody knows about zeus and 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 zeus is the father of wonder woman another superhero um you have hercules that right. comes from that and, and which of course you have the movie you have all these 
legends and archetypes. That's the mm-hmm. big one is all the archetypes that are created by these mythologies. Mm-hmm. Right. And the storytelling and the legend that is constantly mirrored in modern storytelling, especially fantasy storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how else to narrow it down. And if I'm not thinking of something that y'all are, please I, I jump don't, in. I, I, I just, don't. No, you're, mythology. you're you're right, and I, I'm entering it here as ancient world mythologies, uh, Perfect. because Perfect. It, it's not fair to narrow it down to one. Yeah, um, exactly. Because they've I all had played Greek mythology. Yeah, I I started off trying to write them all down, and I finally just went, no, it's ancient world mythologies. Uh, the Aztec the uh, mythologies are are currently playing roles in, in things that are being developed. Mm-hmm. Um, Mayan mythologies, uh, the 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 Japanese and Chinese mythologies are mm-hmm. extraordinarily important. Egyptian mythologies, they're yeah. um, they're all very important. And I and I, as we talked about before, the and we kind of talked about this with sci-fi was the the religions uh, that that have you know some of these sci-fi elements. They also have some of these fantastical elements and. Uh, these ancient mythologies have, because of what fantasy is, because fantasy is the root form of all storytelling, mm-hmm. it starts with these. These are the earliest yeah. stories told. I mean, like, there's no pretending like you couldn't take the first eleven chapters of Genesis and make one heck of a sci or a, a one heck of a sci-fi or a fantasy you know, world out of just that bizarreness mm-hmm. up in there, you know, with the monsters. So, and so the, yeah, that that's a fantastic entry. They have forever altered and influenced and will continue to influence fantasy writing forever yeah. because they're the root of fantasy storytelling. Absolutely. It was these, these mythologies, these oral traditions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing. It's, it's, it's the stories that people sit around and tell each other. Those are ultimately the ones that are the most compelling is the stories that people don't tell because they had to read the story, the, the book in school, but the stories that people tell because it resonates with who we are right. as human beings. Right. And that's right. what mythology is. Well, and, that, and that's the thing is we have versions of these that were written down much later mm-hmm. in, in print and written down and then printed much later. Right, uh, but they they predate that. These are oral traditions. Yeah, these are the the oral traditions of cultures all over the world that inspired people to tell stories. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that same, is it my turn now? It's your turn. Yeah. All right. So on the um, on the note of ancient mythologies, um, one of the things that was sort of part of the revival of interest in defunct uh, religions and obscure mythologies at the time was uh, Wagner, of course, um, famously the ring cycle, right? The story of um, the divine child who doesn't know that he's divine. So he goes on a quest and he gets a sword from a dwarf who's evil and, you know, he then he goes and he finds a princess who's on a, a mountaintop ringed with fire. And he, you know, just like this, this whole 
affair and you know and 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 the world is is born and the world dies and it's reborn again and it's this this cycle and this is some of the most i mean some of the greatest music ever written was written by Wagner for the ring cycle. Now Wagner, he was one son of a gun. He was not a nice person, but man, if that man could not write some phenomenal music, uh, the ride of the Valkyries is probably the most famous example. I mean, pretty much it, that has been used oh, in. It's, bum, ba, dum, bum. Right. Yes, and that's, that's the thing about the ring cycle is nearly everyone knows these pieces of music, whether they know that this is where they came from or not. Yeah, and they're centered around. That's awesome. It's 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 Wagner's through opera, the retelling of Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. And, and it was definitely part of that nationalistic, like, oh, we Germans are actually Norse, and this is our thing. It was definitely part of that movement, um, but I mean, I don't know how how accurate he got the Norse mythology stories, but he sure enough told it in a super compelling way. And um, the Ring Cycle is still like maybe the most performed opera. I mean, because it's it's three, but whenever you put them all together, I think it may be the most performed um, opera. Ever. It's, yeah, it's still certainly one of them. It's ridiculously, been ridiculously um, popular. But yeah, the Ride of the Valkyries. Thank you, Wagner. And Greek mythology. No, Norse mythology. I didn't know that. that yes. That's dope. Yeah. My Opera is way cooler than people give song. it. Yes. Opera is way cooler than people give it credit for. Opera's dope, bro. Yeah. I jammed to the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> well, it's such a, it's such a, it's such an interesting way to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a very Greek way to tell stories. Correct. Yeah. It's basically, that's what it basically is, is kind of drawing in those, it was part of the Renaissance was like, hey, let's resurrect how we think that they used to tell stories. Um, but anyway, I think it's Andrew's turn next. Okay. So my next entry is going to be one that I'm relatively certain no one else pulled. Okay. But it's Weird Tales magazine. I did not pull that. Um, in the spirit of the same thing I did with pulling a magazine for the Pillars of Sci-Fi, this one, um, it, it's kind of a fantasy pulp magazine. It was uh, started in 1922. It is... So these magazines in the 20s and 30s were some of the first places that many of the science fiction and fantasy stories were first giving a, given a place to be published hmm. before bookmakers were really wanting to publish a lot of these stories. And you got to remember, this is pre-trade paperback. Like right. these publishers aren't wanting to sink lots of money into these hardback books that they're not going to sell. Um, they're not doing these mass market paperbacks yet. So everything's hard bound or leather bound. Um, so these, these magazines are the place where a lot of these things get their start. Weird tales. It's the first place we ever saw Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythology, hmm. which whatever you think about Lovecraft, the Cthulhu mythology has been lasting and has affected tons of stuff um, o- over time, including things like Dungeons and Dragons and, 
and, and lots of other stuff. Um, it's where Robert, a lot of Robert E. Howard's Conan stories first appeared as well. Interesting. So I think when you're talking, like we talked about in the science fiction category, these pulps, these, these magazines were really where fandom began to develop Mm -hmm. as a big, important thing. Mm -hmm. And Weird Tales magazine was probably the most important magazine publishing fantasy and fantasy horror stories out there. Hmm. Interesting. So because of that, Weird Tales is my first or my second entry. Great. Awesome. All right. That brings us back around to David. So uh, you actually just mentioned it. And um, so I I was actually going to save this to last, but I'm going to go ahead and bring it up since you just mentioned it. My next entry, which is kind of similar in a way to the mythologies, but I thought deserved one on its own and fit on its own, is um, uh, Lovecraft Mythos. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the works of H.P. Lovecraft as a whole. There are some incredible specific books you should read. I suggest just there, there's one that I read. I, I believe it's just called um, the works of H.P. Lovecraft. It's like something as simple. That is a huge like tome of a book um, yep. that you have to read. Uh, it's basically like a coffee table book. But um, the works of H.P. Lovecraft are some of the most um, like you just mentioned important. Uh, pieces of, of fantasy to 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 things like Dungeons and Dragons, the things like the Elder Scrolls, like I mentioned earlier. Um, it's kind it's it's kind of this weird niche thing that's always there. Like it's all it's almost like Cthulhu's always there, hovering in the fantasy conversation, mm-hmm. especially when talking about like fantasy villains and terrifying things and mm-hmm. and the ideas that hp lovecraft put forward still blow my mind and i love to read about them the very idea that like these things that are so terrifying that your brain can't even comprehend it so it just like explodes and like what you see as cthulhu the 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 octopus man that's not what cthulhu looks like that's just the closest thing that your brain can possibly comprehend to what it is that he is hmm. just these incredible ideas um, that HP Lovecraft put out into the world. Um, I believe he started publishing um, stories that fit into the Cthulhu uh, mythos in the early 1920s. Correct. And um, they were kind of published all over the place. Like you just said, in in, in magazines and different books and stories that, um, that, that he put out um, the, the like, According to like the wiki, the official like fictional universe is just called the Cthulhu Mythos. Right. And so that is my next entry on um, the Pillars of Fantasy. It's a really interesting one. It's uh, Lovecraft in his lifetime. Nobody cared about his writings. It, it was something that really? that became big sometime after his death. It really is one of the first great modern mythologies. It's it's one that's of those. That's what things. I love about it. It's just the mythology. It, it's that you had some, and that's the thing is like his writings, you know, his his stories themselves, they get real mixed reviews all the time. Like even people going back now and going, it's like some of it's okay and some of it's terrible, but the brilliance of it wasn't necessarily the stories he told. 
but these the these enormous that this world that he put them in, the mythologies that he created hmm. around his story. That's what he was brilliant at, yeah. um, and and it's exactly. one of the first great modern mythologies. And and I would say that you know we have the um, because we're a young nation, the the United States is a young nation. We have the 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 American mythology is the comic book, really. Mm-hmm. That the the, the early superheroes, that, the I golden agree. era superheroes, that's the American mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Lovecraft created this wonderful, um, this wonderful mythology that just has has increasing. That that's the thing about it. Nobody in his lifetime he had very little success, but the particularly the stuff that originated with the call of Cthulhu has just continued to grow and grow and grow. Yep. Uh, to even the point where one of the biggest shows out there right now in stranger things is borrowing heavily from Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Great example of just like, that's just straight up Lovecraft, the, all the creatures and the ideas. And I love it. It's, it's incredible. All right, Marish, that brings us back around to you again. That brings back to me. All right. Um, so the next, um, the next thing on my list is something that I kind of didn't immediately think of when I thought fantasy, but the more I thought about it, the more I think it really fits. And that's Midsummer Night's Dream by William Shakespeare. Um, and it's really different from modern fantasy, because it takes place in a very medieval vision of a fantasy world, right? And let's not kid ourselves. The way that we think about elves and dwarves and uh, river sprites is very, very different from the way that they thought about all of these things during the Renaissance. And Midsummer Night's Dream, of course, I mean, Shakespeare is, if, if you've never... If you've never watched Shakespeare and only ever read it, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, but Midsummer Night's Dream, I mean, some of the most classic, you know, fantasy icons, um, uh, you know, from from that aren't purely mythological. And that's the really interesting thing about Midsummer Night's Dream is it's actually really fantasy in the sense that it's not just retellings of a mythology or a fairy tale. This is honest to goodness, somebody taking a lot of these elements and weaving their own fantastical story around them, which is, I mean, it's, it's modern fantasy and it was written in the 1600s. So that's, that's pretty brilliant. So that's my selection as a Midsummer Night's Dream. I like that because I can thought about Shakespeare and stuff like that. And I probably haven't read nearly as much Shakespeare as you have or, or know as much about it. But from what I have read, a lot of the stories are very, very, very close to being fantasy. In mm-hmm. fact, mm-hmm. some of them are just straight up fantasy. Uh, the Tempest, mm-hmm. um, yep. for example, um, a lot of a lot of Shakespeare's works like that. So I kind of like tried to see where I could fit that in. So, but I, I just didn't have room for it on my list. So I'm really, really glad you brought it up. Yeah, the Tempest, as you're right, is another excellent example of Shakespeare does fantasy, because, like I said, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting because it's not just a straight up like, and these are the fairy tales, and these are the Greek gods. It's like, and this is me making up my own weird stuff. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. All right, so my next entry, I guess this will be this will be what my third third entry. Yep, more around three. Okay. Um, for my third entry on the list, I'm going to choose Dungeons and Dragons. Huh? Somebody had to do it. <clears throat> <laughs> you stole David's thunder, love. Well, go back to my list. <laughs> no, no, please. Um, and no, I mean, I, I definitely want to hear what you have to say about it. But you're talking about, um, I cannot remember the name of the guy. The there were two guys that created it. It's Gary Gygax and, um, I can't remember the name of the other guys. But they literally created their own publishing company to put this game out. Um, called Tactical mm-hmm. Studies Rules Incorporated. Um, Which is like the lamest name for a publishing company ever. Um, well, okay, so basically yep. these these types of games, before this, it's, Dungeons & Dragons is not the first role-playing game, but prior to Dungeons & Dragons, they're, they're mostly military games. Right. And... Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the whole tactical studies thing comes in there is that's the kind of game they're they're toying with. Um, like the miniatures place in Baton Rouge with like the little soldiers and stuff. Right. So um this is the company Gary Gygax and uh Dave Ameson created uh yeah. Dungeons and Dragons itself. I think it was Gary Gygax and somebody else who created the publishing company. Um but so 1974 you're talking about the RPG that it's essentially the board game the tabletop game version of it, it did what Lord of the Rings did to books and then to movies for for board games or for for tabletop games it because it's not not a board game but for tabletop gaming it's it created this thing that dwarfs all the ones that came before it, and it's still the biggest today, mm-hmm. even though it was created in 1974. Of course, it's now owned by and made by Wizards of the Coast, which is a Hasbro subsidiary. But um, I think what Dungeons & Dragons really brings to the table is it's, of course, based on everything fantasy. But what it has done is inspired... Millions of people to tell their own fantasy stories. Yeah. And not just to tell them, but to mm-hmm. to invest in them and share them with others and experience them with others. Mm-hmm. And so it, it gets... Yeah, that's the beauty of it. It's, 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 it's not just reading or listening to or watching. It's fantasy immersion. And I think that's the beauty of Dungeons and Dragons. And I will be, I am curious to see what David had to say about it as well, since it was clearly on his list also. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. I still got plenty more to fit in. Um, But yeah, so Dungeons and Dragons, you you pretty much said it. It is the like premier way to experience full immersion um, and, and, and fantasy. Um, I love this game. I've been playing it uh, once a week for about uh, a year and a half now. Um, I've always wanted to play it, but never got around to it. And finally, my friend wanted to. And and you're right. It's it it's allows people to create their own stories and then share them with with their friends. And that's what my DM has done. And that's what I've now done as a DM myself 
is, is being able to write my own stories, my own fantasy stories with, and include whatever races I want to include in the story and whatever characters and archetypes I want to include mm-hmm. and talk about. And then my, my players get to be whatever they want to be. I get to be whatever I want to be in a fantasy world. I can be a human ranger who lives in the woods and is secretly uh, the heir to the throne of um, Gondor instead of Gondor because <laughs> I don't want to call it Gondor. Um <laughs> uh, I, I didn't actually call it Hondor, um, but, but I did make a character like that. Or I could be a dwarf who's a bard who who secretly wants to be a chef, but he's shunned by his 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 fellow dwarf. So he learns to be a smith, but really he wants to be a chef. So instead, he creates the shop. He moves away and creates a shop called the Hammer and Spoon, where he's a smith and he's a chef. And, you know all these <laughs> these crazy things that anything you can think of in a fantasy world you now get to fully experience it mm-hmm. uh with dungeons and dragons and there are other other fantasy role-playing games now mm-hmm. uh, but dungeons and dragons has still stayed on top uh since 1974 it's still the premier way to go it's so accessible now um it's it, the fifth edition is is great I've played a couple different editions now. The fifth edition is still my favorite. It's the most accessible, but it's not dumbed down. Um, I mean, relatively speaking, it is, but it's not dumb. Really fun to play. Check out D&D Beyond to quickly be able to get into it. Uh, you can learn a lot about fantasy, learn a lot about different creatures and species and and archetypes and environments and things like that by playing Dungeons & Dragons. And it just completely opens your your entire fantasy world to, to a whole, to a whole new, um, realm of possibility. Yeah. We haven't actually played D and D, but it's definitely, um, one of those things that you can't be a nerd and not at least have some basic understanding of what D and D is and what it does. And of course, you couldn't be a super conservative kid in the '90s without understanding that Dungeons and Dragons was evil. <laughs> it's very so evil. problematic. Very, uh, very. Who was it that was talking about? We had a friend who was talking about. Yeah, you know, you had to watch out for for D and D. There's a Adventures in Odyssey episode about how the dangers of LARPing, how it might get you into <laughs> LARPing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <clears throat> Hello, everyone. I was that person. But yeah, that was that oh, was Lord. one that this list couldn't be made without putting Dungeons and Dragons on it. It's Absolutely, too crucial, and it's a big part of what this list is really about. Is the things that have inspired people to create, and Dungeons and Dragons has played an enormous role in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, mm-hmm. that brings us back around to you for your fourth entry. Okay, so this one's, you know, kind of difficult because there are a couple different things that I kind of just want to get mentioned, but um, I decided to settle on this, and it's kind of like the safe way to go, but it's 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 deserving. Um, even though we already have talked about The Lord of the Rings more than anything else in this Pillars list, I'm still going to include the works of Howard Shore on The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, it is... Music and even like I said, even though we talked about this while talking about the movies, it's still so important in and of itself yeah. that I thought it belonged here. That music, um, it is, 
it is 100% everything I think of when I think of fantasy sound. Um, I love the music. It's on my playlist. It's what plays when I play D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, and I already mentioned Jeremy Soul earlier, and I love Jeremy Soul, but the, nothing beats Howard Shore's fan, fantastical works. Um, I love the themes and having a, a, a theme for each um piece of the movie like each each character like group of characters has a theme the ring has a theme gondor has a theme um rohan has a theme you know Mm -hmm. like the the, all these different themes that play at these very specific moments it's all beautifully crafted and just adds so much to the experience and and i didn't know if i wanted to include them because there's other things i could include and um we'd already talked about lord of the rings but when we did the the pillars of sci-fi i mentioned um um. Oh my God, John Howard. Right, that's his name. Uh, no, it's not Howard Shore. How? No, no, Howard Shore just now. But who? Who did Star Wars? Oh, John Williams. John Will. Oh my God, I'm ashamed of myself. John, I was thinking John. I had Howard Shore in my head, uh-huh. and then John Williams. So I said John Howard. John Williams. I mentioned John Williams in the miscellaneous list, so I wanted to do the same honors to Howard Shore here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah when right. talking about music and his work on the Lord of the Rings, that it just yes, it is the it is the benchmark. It is the thing mm-hmm. to beat when making um, fantasy music. I agree, and I, it's it's again a testament to just Lord of the Rings in general. You're you're literally you cannot. You can't overstate it. It's it's simply one of the greatest stories ever written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they just they did they hit all the nails squarely on the head, including the music. Um, I mean, the light mm-hmm. motif hadn't been used quite so well, which is the the like the little memorable da 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 da. Right, that's mm-hmm. your Hobbit moment. You have your ring theme. Those little themes they're called light motifs. It was one of Wagner's big things. And I mean, not since Star Wars had it been used so well, and it it's mm-hmm. so perfectly that that style of music is so perfectly so perfectly. What's the word I'm looking for? Not adapted. It fits this style of story so well that that fantasy mm-hmm. and the 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 huge sweeping scope. Yeah, it, it adds this epicness because it becomes part of the story it's not just music that's there in the background it tells you what's going on Mm -hmm. it's a lot like the music in an opera it tells you what's happening it absolutely it's exactly like the music in an opera that's exactly what it is right it's it's in the same way that the phantom of the opera song plays whenever the phantom of the opera shows up Mm -hmm. um that's what's happening when frodo pulls out the ring or when Gollum climbs over a rock or you see Mordor. Um, yeah, that's exactly it. And it's wonderful. I, I recently, cause we've been talking about so much about it. I recently bought, uh, an audible. Um, actually I got it for free. I got a, um, uh, a dramatized reading of the fellowship of the ring. Oh yeah. And it's, it's wonderful. Um, um, I think, uh, Ian Holm is actually one of the voices. It's, it's a great cast and I've been listening to it and loving it at work and stuff. Um, but it's really missing something. Like I can actively notice that it's missing something, these story beats, without having that wonderful music 
playing behind it that I'm just so used to now. Mm-hmm. Um, they they talk about they they say oh um, Frodo uh, or, or like uh, Bilbo um, is fingering the ring in his pocket, and I and I want to hear mm-hmm. the the theme the, that plays when when the ring is is mentioned. Yeah. Um, so yeah, one hundred percent. Some of my favorite music ever. Like I said, I don't just I don't just listen to it when I play Dungeons and Dragons. I listen to it going down the street mm-hmm. when I'm just relaxing. I love having just the Shire theme playing. Yes, um, oh, I love me some. Hobby I have music. a mod. We talk about exactly. Uh, I have a mod in my Skyrim game that replaces. Uh, it doesn't replace. It adds on top of Jeremy Soul's incredible music. Adds all of the Lord of the Rings music That's into great. the game. The the play while I'm playing. Uh huh. Um, wonderful, wonderful sounds. That's awesome. Yes, you're definitely right. That one definitely, um, definitely deserves a, a spot. All right, am I next? You are next. All right. Yeah, so that's my four. So is this it? This is the last one. All right. So I'm mm-hmm. going to do everyone a favor and forego another um, relatively obscure opera in the Magic Flute, which is important in case you're wondering, uh, by Wolfgang by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And if this were a classical music podcast i would talk about it at great length but i already talked about wagner and tchaikovsky so i'm gonna move on and instead i'm (laughs) going to um pull peter pan by jm barre so it's been um most memorable for people my age right as a disney movie it was a book the book is great however the first iteration of this story was as a play. And in fact, if you've ever seen the movie Hook, you've seen little bits of it, you know, with, you know, she's is is, is a kiss and there the whole conversation about the kiss and the and all of that. Um the that's actually taken from the play Peter Pan written in 1902 and plays have a tendency to flop, you know, whenever they're a lot of things are like you know, Um, Even I was reading about Swan Lake, you know, Swan Lake was a total disaster when everyone hated it when it first premiered. But now it's one of the most iconic things ever. Well, Peter Pan was not that way. Peter Pan was a hit from the beginning. And it appealed to people's desire uh, to hold on to their their innocence and their childhood. It was the most um, childlike grown up story you could tell about a little boy who never grows up and fights pirates. Um, And it's managed to remain in much the same way. The wizard of Oz is something that's still constantly referenced just in, in everyday conversation. Peter Pan is another one that is just, you know, he's a lost boy, you know, Oh, all right, we'll go, you know, go back to never, Neverland. You know, it's one of those things that just, is such an important part of how we as Americans talk about life. Um, I think it would be, uh, we would be remiss to leave it off this list. So there we go. J.M. Barre's Peter Pan. Yep. That's another great addition. Oh, and and not to mention, this was the first time that they um, actually used wires to make actors fly. It was like, people were like, Oh, what is this witchcraft? You know, like they had never, like it had never occurred to anybody that you could actually have actors zipping around the stage looking like they were flying. 
but they did it. All right. So for my fourth choice, I'm going to choose one that's actually already been mentioned tonight, uh, way back during the first choice um, when David chose uh, the Elder Scrolls. He mentioned one that I just can't make this list and not include it. And that is The Legend of Zelda. Mm, I didn't uh, know if you were going to say World of Warcraft or that. World of Warcraft is another one that's it's kind of hard to leave off this list. It's not one I've played much. But The Legend of Zelda goes all the way back to 1986. It has had 24 sequels or spinoff Games that made. Is unreal. It has a, another one, a 25th in development right now. It, <laughs> a video game yeah. that came out the year I was born. It was the brainchild of one of the greatest video game designers of all time, and uh, Miyamoto, who made all of the great games from the 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 golden age of the Nintendo. He based the story on these explorations of his when he was a child in Japan and would explore these these woods and caves and mm-hmm. and all of these things. He based the um, Link, his main character, and and the fairy companion are based on Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. Oh perfect. Uh, the mm-hmm. Master Sword is based on Excalibur. Yep. Um so mm-hmm. it, it's all of these elements that when we talk about this, we talk about the scope of this story that's been being told, um, even though there is apparently a little bit of confusion exactly what the timeline of the Zelda stories is. <laughs> Confusion's an understatement. <laughs> it is a wonderful world that has been created and continues to evolve. And again, within video games, is one of the greatest fantasy worlds that's ever been created. And uh, for those reasons, and just because of just the sheer number of people who have played these games, and for many was some of their earliest introduction to the fantasy genre, mm-hmm. other than nursery rhymes and fairy tales, it is. It was just too important to me to to that I I could not leave this one off the list. Um, so I'm I'm well, putting. I'm happy that you brought it up. Yeah. So the I'm legend that you did include it after I brought it up. Yeah. So Legend of Zelda, and that's the thing when when you're making your uh, if you're going to contribute to our listeners list for next week, if we mentioned it and didn't include it, and it's you still game. want it on there, it's still fair game because oftentimes we may mention something else because we had to make a hard choice between three or four different things mm-hmm. in order to. Because we don't want our we didn't want these lists to just be fifty items long, so we right. we restricted ourselves to kind of four or five choices as what these lists have really worked out to, mm-hmm. and oftentimes we had to leave things off that we know were important in order to squeeze them on here, and oftentimes that's why we name those other things when we're telling you which one we chose because we know they're important. So please don't hesitate to grab those for your listeners list mm-hmm. if if you think they belong there. Um, but I, that is that that wraps us up to twelve. Now, 
I don't, my list for this wasn't quite as extensive as some of the other lists we've done, but I do want to give everybody a chance. We're at 12 items because we did, we had very little overlap in our list, which was probably the least overlap we've had. Although yeah. I think the miscellaneous category yeah. was kind of that way last time where there yeah. wasn't a tremendous amount of overlap. There's a couple of things like everybody at least thought D&D. Yeah. I mean, we, we all kind of thought about the same things, but ultimately we mostly chose different things. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a wonderful list, but I do want to give everybody a chance. If you've got one more thing that you really want to throw out there for consideration, um, this is your chance. So real quick, I'll just say that also speaking of Legends of, Legend of Zelda, the music in The Legend of Zelda is oh, yeah. mm -hmm. iconic and some of the best fantasy music um, ever ever produced. I love the music in Legend of Zelda. But as for one more thing, um, I have one that I thought about this um, after we did our movies category and really kind of fits in the movies, but also can fit here. You will understand what I mean when I say it. And if y'all think it should go in the movie category, maybe we could retroactively add it there or we could put it here. But I was ashamed that I didn't think of Fantasia uh, when talking about the movie category. Um, uh, the, the Mickey Mouse and the in the blue hat wizard um yeah. it's kind of a musical kind of a you know hodgepodge of like yeah. just cool looking animation like is it a short is it it's not well, a short it's two hours but is it a it's a series you know, of shorts it? almost it, it is but it's also right, exactly. the 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 fact that they do, I mean, you can include this here because, I mean, I honestly think that you could say Fantasia and you could say that you're talking specifically about the the nightly event at Disney at World. Disney because that in itself is just that. incredible. Yeah. It is. And, and that's actually, you know, now that I think about it, Disney World in general probably could be on the list. I, just oh, Disney World. You know, that's an excellent point. I, yeah, I I think that yeah that, at, at least Magic Magic Kingdom mm -hmm. Disney's Magic Kingdom Magic yeah yeah right. well but what about I mean Hollywood Studios is where they do I mean they've got Pandora in that's true. Animal Kingdom now that they've got Star Wars in um in Hollywood Studios that's true so I think we just might have to say Disney Parks I would not be complaining yeah now that I mentioned it because I was gonna mention with Fantasia also the light show at Disney Magic Kingdom mm -hmm. is breathtaking yes. and if you it, it's something that like everybody should obviously not everyone can go to disney world but watch it on youtube yeah. at the <laughs> least man because it's yeah. wonderful drive over um, i remember to... being like an eight-year-old kid yep i remember being like an eight-year-old kid in disney and being like i don't want to watch a stupid magic i want to <laughs> keep riding rides but then my dad was like just shut up and watch the show please and i and i loved it because um, he knew that I would, because he knows he knows that I, that's something I would actually enjoy if I just watched yeah. it. Um, yeah. But with that in mind, Disney, yeah, Disney World kind of encapsulates that. Like that is part of Magic Kingdom. So I'm, I'm happy I brought it up because it led me to that train of thought. Disney yeah. World. Yeah, I mean, I think what I will probably do is if you're cool with it, because I think Fantasia belongs on the list, and we can still list it separately because it's. Because of its multiple, you know, different iterations, iterations. and I, and I may do that. Um, 
But I, I'm also mm-hmm. going to put Disney World slash Land or Disney Parks on here, and I'm going to mention some of the specific things that fall under that because I'm glad somebody thought to say that before we wrapped up here Absolutely. because, um, yeah, it's this place where you can go and you can experience all of these wonderful fantasy stories. It's the stories. most magical place on earth. It just is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's great but I, I think that fantasia in itself because of the music the, the combination of all the things that make it what it is that i, I think it belongs on the list as mm-hmm. well it's separately yeah um so that's yeah great. that's a great entry marisha did you have anything else that you really wanted no, the to other the in? only other thing i had was the magic flute but it's um like i said i'm tired of talking about opera <laughs> All right, so I've since that puts us, I've got one. It's kind of a weird one, and if y'all reject it, my feelings will not be hurt. Okay, but I'm going to I'm going to throw it out there because the more I think about it, the more I just really I at least want to talk about it. Is the music of Led Zeppelin? Ah, <laughs> I love that specifically so much. five pieces of. Five pieces of, uh, uh, five five different musical pieces. Kashmir, which is about, um, the, you know, is about India and about these these wise mm-hmm. men living in the mountains, these mystics and and things like that. Uh, immigrant song, which is about um, Norse mythology. Norse. Uh, Achilles' last stand. Ah. Right. <laughs> uh, Achilles' Last Stand, which right. of course Greek mythology. Yeah. Uh, Ramble On, which is actually a kind of strange version of Lord of the Rings, hmm. and the Battle of Evermore, which is this wild combination of Arthurian and Tolkien uh, stories. It's like it's pretty much like D and D. It's like before there was. Dungeons and Dragons, it's like they made a song about it. Because if what we're talking about is <laughs> yep. these things that pushed fantasy into the pop culture limelight, mm-hmm. I, the music of Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. at least at least this part of the catalog. Dude, Immigrant Song is in Thor Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. I, I think I was not laughing at you to make like I oh, was I laughing because... Out of all the things I expected you to say, that was <laughs> I would not have guessed that in a million years. But whenever, as soon as you said it, I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I love yeah. that idea as an entry on the list and 100% agree. And now that you mention it, hell yes. <laughs> yeah. Put that on the list. I'm with you. If it weren't for Led Zeppelin, Elijah never would have brushed his teeth for like two years. <laughs> That's how, so we, we realized at some point we'd be like, hey, y'all go brush your teeth. So we realized what they were doing is the kids are going in there and Iana, which is the oldest uh, girl, was, she would be like, all right, buddy, sing the Thor's Ragnarok song. And so he'd be in there going, ah, and while she was brushing his teeth, because she's like, that's the only way I can get him to keep his mouth open. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. And he still walks around and sings it. He does, yeah. Yeah. 
Of course, he also I, sings I, I the Liberty too. Mutual song. So. Yeah. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Liberty. <laughs> he, he also, <laughs> he was bouncing around the house the other day going, um, Limu, Emu, and Doug. <laughs> He's really into Liberty Mutual commercials. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for the Pillars of Fantasy. And I can't wait to see what our listeners come up with for next week's list. And so we'll get into that. And then as soon as we get that put up, we will add the, we'll get that poster up. We'll add that final poster. If you haven't seen it, you can go to our T Public page and we have a poster there, full size. It can be bought small, but it's a full size poster of our Pillars of Science Fiction, and we do plan to follow that up with one for the Pillars of Fantasy. Yeah, you know we could we could cut I'm it in half and put it on that door right there, so when it's closed, it would it would be there. Andrew's walls are like covered in stuff, so like finding a place for anything new is always a challenge. I. I'm sure you've already done this, Andrew. I finally had the bright idea after buying so much art that one day I was at WizCon, I had all this art, and I realized I have nowhere to hang this up. So I bought a giant portfolio folder that people would use for, like, their own art. And Mm -hmm. I just started keeping artwork in there. Yeah. That I have. Yeah, we've we've And, like, I keep it, like, out on my desk. So, like, when people come over, I'm like, come take a look at my collection. Yeah. That's a good plan. What I what I really want is like like a modular picture frame where they kind of stack where you could just change the one that's on front mm-hmm. every once in a while. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that would work, but some sort of mounting system where you can just change the piece that's on the front so you can huh. see different yeah, that could be things, but then they're all hanging there on the wall so you're not like, where am I going to put this while right. it's not on the wall? Yeah. I have threatened to start putting them on the ceiling, but I just, like, when I was a kid, I had a big, giant model Millennium Falcon that me and my dad built that hung above my bed, and one night it crashed and burned <laughs> right on my face. So I, I, I oh do God. sort of have, an, a, like, a, a fear of hanging things on the ceiling. That's too much. Um, but... Yeah, what, I had a... I had a- fiction poster right above my head not on the ceiling but on the wall mm-hmm. and one day it fell over and um, I basically kissed Uma Thurman because <laughs> <laughs> it just fell right on my face that's hilarious alright guys well that's well, gonna I totally under- <laughs> I, I, sorry <laughs> no it's fine I think it's a good place to wrap up <laughs> alright guys well that's gonna wrap us up for this episode of the Science Fictionary Podcast until next week Marisha where can people find you you can find me on my website princessesandpadawans.com you can find me on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore padawans and on Twitter at no my Twitter handle is ppadawans yes alright David where can people find you uh, I can be found on both Twitter and Instagram at stay underscore creative DD and on my YouTube page at creative D and D. All right. And you, uh, I'm Andrew Gore. You can find me running the Twitter account for this show at saw underscore fictionary. 
You can find me hosting our other show, Coruscant Radio Underground. We talk about all the things we love about that galaxy far, far away. You can find us at thesciencefictionary.com, or you can drop us a line at thesciencefictionary at gmail.com. You can also find us, as well as the rest of the Red 5 podcast family, at red5network.com or at red5network on Twitter. And you should definitely go over there and check out all of the wonderful podcasts there. And until next time, may the Force be with you. 